Good morning, God, and thank you again just for a day to come and worship you, to open up your word, but also to examine ourselves. And this song, it's really a prayer of our heart, but uh, it's hard to really apply where all we really want is just to be with you, when in truth, what we want is a whole lot more. We want things to go our way. We want our plans to work. We want our house to look nice. We want people to be impressed. We want to be successful. And uh, in the story we're going to read today, all Mary wanted to do was learn from you and to sit at your feet and to just hear your words and to just be your disciple. And so, Father, I just pray for all of us who have busy lives, and I think that's every single one of us. I pray today we'll be able to take a deep breath. We'll be able to put away all of the cares. Maybe it's a pot roast in the oven. Maybe it's getting my house ready for home fellowship group tonight. I don't know. There's 101 things that probably are in the minds of people here. Help us to stop and let your scriptures teach us. So, Father, that requires the work of your Holy Spirit, not just with my teaching, that it would be clear, it would be accurate, but also with our listening, that we would, um, we would take to heart, really let your truth sink in and apply it where we need it to be applied. So, Father, my prayer request is, as a result, help us to learn how to rest today. Help us to learn how to find peace. Help us, God, to learn how to get off this treadmill of expectation. So answer these prayers, and may you be pleased in Christ's name. Amen. Could you open up to the book of Luke, chapter 10? Just need to turn this light off, Bertha. It's shining in my eyes sitting over there. I can't look at that, Bertha. You're, what are you doing? There we go. All right. So we are at Luke chapter 10, and we are in the last section, starting in verse 38, and this is, just like Jared said, one of, I would say, the most known stories in the book of Luke, and I'm scared to death to preach it. Terrified this morning, actually. Not because I feel unprepared, but because this message today, I personally believe, is disliked by women. I have to be honest with you. I think there's three major passages in Scripture. I think Titus 2.5 is not a favorite of women, nor is 1 Timothy 2.11-15. But I believe that if women could be honest, really, if all of us could be honest, and I know this sounds sexist, I'm just telling you, I'm married, so I understand, this is not a passage that is highly embraced. So I'm terrified, and actually, um, the title of my message is going to be Walking on Eggshells, so I brought in a whole container of eggshells just to show you how scared I am. Have you ever walked on eggshells? And they're goopy ones, too. My wife made a lot of scrambled eggs yesterday. I said, keep the shells. She's like, why? You know, my illustrations are always wonderful illustrations. So the title is Walking on Eggshells, and I will in a minute walk on these eggshells. It's terrifying to me. This passage must be handled with care, especially I'm a man preaching this, and I will sound sexist. I guarantee it. But that's not my objective. We need to learn to relax. Take a deep breath, Charlene. Take a deep breath. 
This will be a good passage for you. You'll love it. (laughs) I am going to attempt to venture this morning where very many husbands dare tread. It's going to be dangerous, and you will understand what I mean. So let's open up to Luke 10, and I'm going to read it on the eggshells. Listen, let's see. Oh, all right, here we go, Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister, and I guarantee you she said it, my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So I will step out of these. They will stick into my feet. My wife's going to kill me. See, even I'm doing this on purpose because you guys have expectations for me. How dare him? That's the point. Because Arnie can clean this up. (laughs) All right. Here's a quick here's a quick analysis of the story, and I think this picture by Velasquez, he depicts the mood perfectly. It's a perfect mood. Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Jerusalem. They've been making stops in different wayside villages. They've been walking dusty roads, and they are probably bone-tired from the long journey from Galilee. So they were on a two-, three-day, four-day excursion. So they come to this house in the city of Bethany, which is right on the outskirts of the big city of Jerusalem. And they are invited in by a family of three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they are such a tremendous family that Jesus really becomes intimate friends with these three. You can find that in John when uh, Lazarus dies. Just the, there's a depth of, of love between these three. While Martha's busy taking care of everything, she notices her sister is sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging on his every word. And so here's here's poor old Martha in the kitchen and looking through that little thing. There's her sister Mary and Lazarus sitting next to Jesus, listening. You can look and see the worry, the distraught face of poor old Martha. Many scholars point out that Mary's posture shows her joining in a role of disciple who is getting to hear what the prophets that came before her would long to hear. And that, you can find that in Luke 10, 24. Well, Martha isn't having it. She is not having it. She has a lot to do to take care of Jesus and his band of merry men, and she needs, needs Mary to help. So in her distress... She solicits Jesus to take up her cause. And again, listen to verse 40. Go to verse 40. 
You can hear her heart. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? That's the story. So here's the survey, and I just want, this is going to be a silent survey, but I want you to ask yourself this question. If you could answer me honestly this question, in your mind, which sister is at fault? I know as you read it, the Bible says Martha. So the obvious answer is Martha. It's the obvious answer. But if you could answer with your heart, how many of you would say definitely Mary needs to help her sister? Actually, raise your hand if you think Mary needs to get off the floor, put on her apron, and help her sister. Raise your hand if that's how you feel. See, honesty. See, Sue Kaler. I knew she'd raise her hand. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's not one family that doesn't understand this story. Not one. I think that's why this passage touches some very sensitive nerves. There's always the one sister in the family who seems to do everything. Or you have the humble, servant-minded, hard-working mom that is often taken advantage of by her rotten, lazy kids. There's a lot of moms like that in here. Or, and you guys don't often hear about this person, there is the not widely recognized, kind-hearted, youngest brother who always has to make dinner for his oldest sisters. Four of them. Chris, you make that pizza so good. Can you make me some more? No. What do you mean? Get out in there and make it. All these choice servants, if they could be honest, they feel like they're always left doing the work while everyone else gets to enjoy their fruits of their hard labor. This also happens when planning church events. They say that 20% of the people do the work. I think it's 10%. Well, 90% of the people don't even lift a finger. Just you wait until your daughter gets married if you think it really gets revved up. I am telling you, there are things to be done and people to do them. So I know many of you have personally felt what Martha's feeling here. I have. You always feel like you're left holding the bag while the rest of the world enjoys life. If you think you really have it bad, try being a pastor in Michigan during the summer or hunting season. Try it, because all you're preaching to are church mice. That's it. It's terrible. Always left here alone. It's terrible. Exactly. Finally. Finally. You understand. Some, some very strange reason, though, when you properly read this, Jesus does not side with Martha. He sides with Mary, of all things. Doesn't he see all the hard work Martha's done to make his stay comfortable? Doesn't he see? He sure does, but he notices something else, and it's far worse. There is some trouble with Martha. She has a bitter heart as she serves, a bitter heart, and he does not like that at all. Let's look at her heart. So the trouble with Martha is two things. Number one, she's anxious and worried. That's what it says in verse 41. The Lord said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious. 
The original language communicates the idea that she is wanting everything to be done in a certain way. She wants everything just so, and if things don't go according to her plans, in her mind, everything will just be a disaster. It's gonna, this is a disaster. One commentator says that the very root of the word anxious betrays in Martha a, a heart of unbelief. In other words, she doesn't trust anyone else but herself. Anyone else's opinion doesn't matter but her own because only she knows how to do these things. This bitterness over Mary's lack of help causes her to even question Jesus. What's more important, Jesus' opinion or Martha? Martha might say, he needs to get in line. There's that feel to this. Because she's telling him what to do. Have any of you, and this is, where, this is where the eggs are cracking a little bit, have any of you ever secretly known a control freak? Or do you think people might call you a control freak by behind your back? then you have seen firsthand this idea of authority, the problem with it. A control freak's a person who thinks they always know what is best to do in each and every situation. And any dissenting or disagreeing voice is not to be listened to or considered because the controlling person's pride blinds them to the validity of the other person's opinion. I'll read that again because this is huge. A control freak is a person who thinks they always know what is best to do in each and every situation. And any dissenting or disagreeing voice is not to be listened to or considered because the controlling person's pride blinds them to the validity of the other person's opinion. They always think they are in the right because they're just always right. You haven't ever met anybody like that, have you? Are any of you that way? No. No. Only I am because I'm the preacher and I'm always right. Anyhow... Here's the, that's the first problem with her heart. It's anxious and worried, but it goes on. Jesus says, you're troubled. You're troubled by a lot of things. You're always troubled. Because her sister Mary's not doing things her way. She's emotionally riled up. Calls her to be riled up. Because they're not doing it the way she wants, she's riled up. What do you do? There's a little bit of frustration going on. And that causes her to be distracted from the real reason Jesus is at her house. She is more concerned about having her sister act right and do her bidding than she is about having the Son of God in her house. Distractions can be very damaging to the condition of our soul. When we allow a small matter to start troubling our mind, maybe something isn't being done in the way it should be. For instance, if you're sitting at church, sometimes... Your mind will start saying, the music's too loud. Oh, the music's not loud enough. A pastor's wearing something I don't like. The baby in the back's crying. The lights are too bright. The woman's skirt in the third row's too short. The teens aren't paying attention. I wasn't greeted the way I should have been. And while your pride, things need to be the way you want them, starts becoming distraction. This distraction starts becoming like a splinter in your shoe. It's all you think about. Because you... Demand things your way. It's called pride. Meanwhile, being blinded by pride, you miss the real reason for life. What's the real reason for life? 
to enjoy what God is doing right now, to enjoy God right now, if you don't learn to humble yourself in the moment, like Martha, distractions will sooner or later steal all your joy. Martha's anxiety, worry, and simmering anger can't be contained. It starts spilling out. In verse 40, look at verse 40. It spills out so much. She's demanding for everybody to be involved in her anxiety. Everyone else needs to take up her cause. Lord, don't you care? She needs to help. There are some people in the world that think their causes need to be embraced by everybody. And if they aren't, those who don't take up their cause are either slackers or even worse, lazy, lousy, good-for-nothing, rotten degenerates because they're not doing what I think they should be doing. The trouble with Martha, as it is with many of us, is when we have our minds made, out, made up without caring about God's will, without caring about other people's opinions, we can cause a lot of unholy stress, unnecessary stress, and we can even cause damage in our relationship with others. I recently read about how the idea of hospitality in America has really changed. It once used to be or mean serving the people who came over to make them comfortable. Hospitality is now changed to wanting the people who come over to affirm us on how good we are at hospitality. It's bizarre. So we, we clean our house, so people come over and say, wow, your house is so clean. We get things ready, so boy, you must have gone to a lot of trouble. Yeah, oh, don't worry about it. When we actually, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did go to a lot of trouble. Ah, like what in the world? Thought you wanted us over. I did, so you can like the food I made you. Been watching that cooking channel, and it better taste, you better like it. This is why in some homes, two hours before people come over to visit, like for home fellowship group, Bible study, a night of cards, those two hours right before are some of the worst two hours of life. Whoa, man. We're going to have home fellowship. Boy, you get off the couch. Get out of the house. I don't know what's happening. I'm convinced this desire to be seen as a good housekeeper keeps many of us from just inviting people over at any time. We are more concerned with looking good than caring for others good. Boy, I hear some shells cracking. Martha's worry and anger to me is a sign she's being ruled by something else other than God. God the Son is sitting in her home and she's demanding him to do her bidding. Something, something's messed up. In the same way, many of you are not letting the Spirit of God control you and as a result, you are carrying around enormous burdens. Enormous. Always trying to meet both hidden and unhidden expectations. The truth be told, the heavy burden of expectations. The heavy burden of expectations is killing us. It's killing us. Daily we are like being carrying around 
Everywhere we go, these expectations, they're killing us. Ah, oh, so stressed. And these are things, they, they say this, they whisper to us, I must do this or this or this or this, and if I don't, or else something this or this or this. And I'll show you, I think there's four of them. I think one of them is when you come to church, there's legalistic expectations. These are customs, traditions, behaviors that the church or grandma, grandma has some pretty, a lot of power, where other believers or even a denomination has determined must be done, that this must be done, and if it's not, God will not be pleased with me. And by pleased, he's going to hold back blessing. He's going to be angry. These things must be done, and if they're not, or else. What's the or else? God's just going to, he might make my life miserable, so I better do these things. And we demand a lot of times from us ourselves. A lot of us will feel guilty if we don't look the right way, do the right thing. But what's worse is when we let them spill over to our kids or our neighbors of those who don't do them. We are very familiar with these things because I try to hammer on them a lot because in the past, probably 30 years ago, we were held captive to these things. Things like ties, dresses, what kind of movie you watch, do we sing out of hymnals, prayer meetings on Wednesday night, no secular mu music, etc., etc., etc. I'm not going to get into it. The issue is, if we let these legalistic expectations rule us, we will drive our kids and their kids away from the church. And be warned, if you let your bitterness spill over like Martha did, God's voice will be drowned out. Because God is full of joy. I think uh, then it, to now there's another expectation. We all, we, this is the hardest one to get rid of. Just your own personal self-inflicted expectations. These are the behaviors, dreams, desires I have, the habits I want to establish, the achievements, the goals, my future hopes that I have self-determined, and if I don't achieve them, I begin to see myself as a failure. So it's, it's sort of like these expectations speak to me and say, Chris, if you don't do this, you are going to be seen as a failure. By who? Me. The load and weight of personal expectations that we daily carry are immeasurable immeasurable if i see someone on facebook my age who's just lost 40 pounds i feel like i need to lose 40 pounds or else i failed do you know how much of a failure i am on every level you just can't believe it if you heard my own mind i don't play with my kids enough i don't take my wife out enough i don't eat enough kale salad i watch too much football i don't spend my money well i don't vacuum enough i don't work on my house enough i'm a first class failure Oh, they're killing me. And I'd ask ladies, how do you feel after reading Pinterest? Or you see a highly ed edited picture of someone else's dinner they just served their kids on Instagram. How do you feel about that? How do I give my kids is macaroni and cheese? I don't give them a little garnish on the side with cranberry sauce poured over a perfectly succulent Meatloaf, where there's a steaming mashed potato on the right side and perfect goblets that match the dishes with an underlying ma uh, 
Ay, ay, ay. I just throw paper plates at my kids. Just eat. Eat. It's okay. They're, a lot, they're eating and they're fat. You know, I mean, it's all right. They're not fat, but they're growing. I'm fat. Anyhow. See, there I go. Expectations are killing me. Do you feel like a failure? Do you realize when you read the Word of God and follow God's voice, life actually becomes easy? But we don't listen to Him enough. We listen to my voice. Because I'm always right. The third box that we hold up, or the third weight, is this cultural one that we just allow voices to control me. Other people's voices. If I don't do what they expect, I'm an embarrassment. I might be an embarrassment to myself. I might be an embarrassment to my family. It might be an embarrassment to my dog. I don't know. I'm an embarrassment. What if people see the stain on my carpet if I invite them over? Oh, we better have matching plates with the cups so they may see me as a terrible host. If I don't bring a casserole to the potluck because I'm an A through J, but all I have in the all I have in the cupboards is a dessert but if I don't bring a cat oh you know what the other ladies are going to say about me oh man I don't even want to go to the potluck what if I forget to invite an important family to my daughter's wedding (laughs) mom and dad want me to be the doctor they've always dreamed of but what if I just want to be a stay-at-home mom Two weeks ago, I wrote a blog that many people said was their favorite about the number one regret people have who have terminal illness. The number one regret. The number two is they wish they wouldn't have worked so hard. The number one regret, it still blows me away. Here's what terminal patients who had less than 12 weeks to live said they regret. They said, I wish I had the courage to live the life true to myself and not the life expected of me. Wow. Why do we allow ourselves to be ruled by the expectations of others? It's killing us. And then the third one, this is an odd one. I just call this the psychological expectations. This is the strangest one of all, and it controls us in a lot of weird ways. You probably heard the story of the lady that was making ham for her, her husband and their family, and she cut off the ends. And the husband said, why do you cut off the ends? She goes, I don't know. My mom always cut off the ends. So their mom came over. The husband said, why does your daughter cut off the ends of her ham? She goes, I don't know. My mom used to. So he goes to the grandmother. Grandma comes over and says, hey, why do your, your daughter and your granddaughter always cut off the ends of the ham? She goes, oh, I always had a, a pan that was too small to fit a full-size ham. But for his granddaughter, that's the way you make ham. Oh. Really? Hey, you want to, husbands, you want to do something that's hilarious. Your wife leaves for two hours. Just change the furniture. I tried it one time. I will never do it again. Ever. The couch is not supposed to go there. Who said? It just isn't. You ever put a glass, you ever put like a, let's say you buy a, a, You just buy a vase of flowers. You put that vase of flowers right there. For some reason, now that's where it's always supposed to be. Why? Because we have this weird thing in our brain where something sits, that's where it is. If, if 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 I made you guys move right now, you would just be like, I don't like it. 
This is my seat. Jim, who said that's your seat? You always sit there. You don't pay any money for that seat. If you paid money, I'd let you sit in that seat. You sit there. So you, you even know, see? Heather always sits right there. What, what is this? It's these weird, our brains are weird. Did you ever see that study where it was one of the funniest things? Rick Dolphin likes to send me weird things. He showed me this thing where this person comes into a dentist office and they just wanted to see what people do. And this, and this bell go ding. And the person was the control person. So he knew what was going on. And every time the ding went, he'd stand up and sit down. So people would come in and go ding. He'd stand up and sit down. And the, the guy sitting next to him is looking at him. And then it dings, the guy sitting next to him stands up, sits down. Five more people come in. These two are standing up, so after about two minutes, everybody's standing up and sitting down. What in the world? <laughs> We're weird. You can, we have all these expectations that we carry around. We've got to just learn to let things go. So which one of these boxes are you carrying? Probably all four. Which ones are self-inflicted? Which ones does God want to carry for you? But Chris, this is easier said than done. If I don't do the things that only I can do, the world around me will fall apart. Are you sure? Yeah, because it's not going to be going the way I want it to go. <laughs> it kills me. Oi. Have you ever tried to follow Mary's example? Let's take a look at that a second. Mary's choice. After Martha confronted Jesus, and she had to be a strong woman to confront the Lord, he looks at her and says, Mary. He can almost feel her heaviness. Mary. Mary. Or Martha. Martha. Yeah, Martha. So you guys have expectations for me to read this right. And you know what I'm saying. Let it go. Let it go. I was just testing you. So he goes, Martha. Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and this isn't going to be taken away. That phrase, good portion, is interesting. What does he mean by good portion? One commentator has said, Jesus as Lord transcends all self-oriented and conventionally correct plans. And his message always takes precedence. That is the one thing this guy says. What he would say is the opinion and presence of Christ. The presence of Christ in your life in this moment takes priority. Psalm 16.5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He's the one I'm choosing. He's the one I choose first. It's kind of like, have you ever bought a uh, bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken? And don't the Colonel Sanders these days look kind of creepy? It's creepy. But the, but the buckets of Kentucky Fried Chicken and the good portion is that big piece of chicken with the extra crispy, sort of on the top, because the bottom ones are greasy down there in the bottom. The grease just flows down. So the top ones aren't so greasy, and they're crispy, and they're good. I take that one first. I don't put my hand all the way down and take that shriveled, greasy drumstick. But that's what most of us do when we live by our expectations. The Lord's presence is good. Taste and see. You can first choose the portion. 
that includes the Lord. I was actually talking to Jared about this this week, and he made a great comment. So I'm actually quoting Jared right here. This is Jared's quote, Jared Doty's quote. He's going to be famous someday. The decision of the Christian is not how much I've gotten accomplished, but how is my relationship? Hmm. Very wise. That's huge. The decision of the Christian is not how much I've gotten accomplished. But how is my relationship? We are ruled by a society that defines people by what they can produce. Not who they are. We are, not, we are significant because we are his children. Not because we make more money or better homemakers. Or we look good. We are significant because we are loved. Wow. And that's the whole concept of Sabbath. That's something we need to consider and re-approaching. God wants us to rest on a regular basis of him. Sunday is traditionally the day we use for Sabbath, the day to just stop producing. For me, I take Mondays, but you have to find your Sabbath where you've got to just stop producing. I love Kevin DeYoung. Listen to this. Listen to this little quote about uh, Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift. Sometimes we don't look at Sabbath as a gift. We look at it as a time where we have miserable Sunday afternoon. It's a gift. It's an island of get-to and a sea of have-to. <laughs> it is an opportunity given to us by God to trust God's work more than our own. And then it says a little bit more, but this is the key. Or, am I too convinced of my own importance? I think Martha was, and Jesus rebuked her for that. When he said, Martha, Martha, he's not agreeing with her. Control freaks are too convinced of their own importance. And that's why a lot of the time people want to avoid them. So I have a final question. I want to end this sermon with a final question. It's a dangerous question. It's my final eggshell attempt. Here it is. Charlene, are you ready for the final question? The final question, $1 million. What would happen, Charlene, if you quit trying to control things? I'm not just saying it to you. I'm sorry. This is to everybody. What would happen if you quit trying to control things? I know the answer. Nothing would ever get done. And Ken, it points at me. In that same voice, what are you kidding? You can feel some people, nothing would ever get done. And you can hear done like a Mexican saying goal on a soccer match. Done! Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Well, at least they won't get done the right way, which is the way I want them to get done. Then, so what? Start doing things not because others won't do them, do them because you just like to do them. If you want help, don't criticize the people. Why don't you help me? <laughs> I, Because I, I hate when you yell at me. You know, it's one of those things. Don't criticize them. Don't shame them. Don't guilt them. Don't berate them. But rather, why don't you ask them kindly, hey, could you help me with this? You might be surprised. Sure, I'd love to. 
And if it doesn't get finished, if it doesn't get finished, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, God can handle it. He's okay. Is that who you're pleasing or yourself? I, as Jared comes up, I, there's one of my favorite, there's a, I used to like to read newspaper comic strips. They don't have them that much anymore, but there was, do you ever remember like in the 80s they had Kathy, the comic strip Kathy? Do you remember, anybody remember that? There was one, it was absolutely hilarious. Kathy actually was engaged and they're planning their wedding and they have a stack of things to do. Actually, there's a stack in the middle of them, her fiance on the right, and she's on the left. And it says like photographer, dresses, you know, church, all of that. And uh, the, um, her fiance says, oh, I know a good, I know a good guy that can take the pictures. And Kathy grabs it and says, no, I know somebody better than that. And then, um, you know, like reception hall. Oh, I know a good guy. He, he's got, I don't like your reception hall. And so she keeps, every time he says something, she keeps taking it. And the very last thing, she's got all of the stack on her side. She looks at him. She goes, how come you never help me with anything? Very good question. 